Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Sprouts Farmers Market second quarter 2019 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the conference, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your host for today's conference, Ms. Susanna Livingston. Ma'am, you may begin. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. We are pleased you have taken the time to join Sprouts on our second quarter 2019 earnings call. Jack Sinclair, Chief Executive Officer, And Chip Malloy, board member and interim chief financial officer, are also on the call with me today. The earnings release announcing our second quarter 2019 results, our 10Q, and the webcast of this call can be accessed through the investor relations section of our website at investors.sprouts.com. During this call, management may make certain forward looking statements, including statements regarding our 2019 expectations and guidance. These statements involve a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in the forward looking statements. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in our SEC filings, along with the commentary on forward looking statements at the end of our earnings release issued today. In addition, our remarks today include references to non GAAP measures. For a reconciliation of non GAAP measures to the GAAP figures, Please see the tables in our earnings release. With that, let me hand it over to Chip to say a few words. Thank you, Susanna. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining our call today. To kick it off, I want to express how excited we are to have Jack here at Sprouts as our new CEO. We went through an extensive search process to find a proven leader with significant industry experience. We were very pleased with the quality of applicants. And their passionate beliefs in the potential for the Sprouts brand. Jack's 35 plus years of grocery experience, his intimate knowledge of merchandising, store operations, and supply chain, combined with innovative thinking and humility, set him apart. Jack is passionate about sustainable, healthy foods, which aligns spot on with Sprouts' culture and purpose. I look forward to working with Jack. In my interim CFO role and as a member of our board of directors. In addition, as of today, Jim Nielsen will be transitioning to a senior advisory role until March of 2020. We are very pleased that over the next several months, Jack will have the opportunity to leverage Jim's experience and knowledge of the natural and organic industry. With that, let me turn it over to Jack to say a few words. Afterwards, I will return in my interim CFO capacity. 
to discuss our second quarter results and updated guidance for the year. Thank you, Chip, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to have the opportunity to speak with you all today on my first earnings call with Sprouts. Over the past few weeks, I've been spending time in the stores and in lots of dialogue with team members across the company. In my years working in the United States, I've admired Sprouts from afar, so I'm excited to be in the middle of the business now. Sprouts is a unique format and a unique brand. We have an opportunity to grow because we can expand access to fresh, healthy and affordable food. Consumers across the country are becoming increasingly concerned about feeding healthy food to their families. Sprouts is best placed to serve these con those concerns and provide the healthy alternative. That is why I'm so excited to be here and lead the growth of this brand. I believe in creating a culture of transparency within the company and with all our stakeholders. I believe in creating a culture of clear accountability and meeting our commitments to each other. I believe in a customer-centric culture and always listening to our stores and our customers to help us improve and understand how to improve our business. Today, I do not have all the answers as to how we're going to improve, develop and grow this business, but we will build a world-class executive team with depth and diversity and the capability to capitalize on the significant growth opportunity in front of Sprouts. As for grocery retail, we all read the same headlines. The competition is fierce, and there are many retail outlets where customers can find food, even healthy food. The future will be defined by those that follow the customers, those that stay in front of or create the product trends, those that bring a differentiated and unique experience both in-store and digitally, and those that do it profitably. They will be the winners, and I'm confident that Sprouts can be at the forefront. We have a tremendous opportunity to expand a well-loved brand with a unique, healthy product assortment across the United States. We have a great foundation, but we have significant work to do. Leaning on my background in companies of scale, I know we have opportunities to evolve this business model to be even more efficient and effective. I look forward to working with the team to build upon strategies that capitalize on our strengths and determine new paths to win over customers. I plan to share more detail with you all in the coming months and look forward to meeting many of you out on the road or in our offices in the near future. I will now hand it back to Chip to discuss our second quarter results and guidance. Thanks, Jack. Now turning to the second quarter results. Net sales were $1.4 billion, up 7% compared to the same period last year. Comparable store sales increased 0.1% and comp transactions were down slightly. April was our most challenging month this year, driven by limited produce availability, reducing our ability to improve, to promote, and drive traffic. Trends were better in May and June, but still below our expectations. Our online sales, while still relatively small in total, increased 170%, expanding our reach to new customers while also providing a convenient alternative to current customers. The online basket has a higher penetration of private label items and less promotional items, producing a higher gross margin. In addition, our click and collect test has expanded in the Phoenix market as we further engage with customers regardless of how they shop. Product innovation continues to drive double-digit sales growth in private label items, which reached 14% of total company revenue in the second quarter. More than 45% of our baskets contain a private label item, a testament to the consumer adoption of our brand. For the second quarter, gross profit increased by 6% to $465 million, and our gross margin rate decreased by 35 basis points to 32.8% compared to the same period last year. This was primarily due to increased product cost, not fully reflected in retail pricing, and slightly higher distribution and transportation cost. SG&A increased 9% to $383 million, or 27.1% of sales, compared to 26.5% in the same period last year. Excluding the 35 basis point impact from the adoption of the new lease accounting standard, SG&A deleveraged 20 basis points. This primarily reflects investments in new stores, 
increased interchange fees, and increased costs associated with the expansion of our home delivery program. For the second quarter, our depreciation and amortization costs increased 12% to $30 million, or 2.1% of sales, an increase of 10 basis points compared to the same period last year. EBITDA decreased 8% in the second quarter to $81 million, and EBITDA margin decreased 100 basis points, including the non-cash impact from the lease accounting standard. For comparability, if the second quarter 2018 results reflected the same lease accounting, EBITDA margin would have decreased by 65 basis points. Net income for the second quarter was $35 million, and diluted earnings per share was $0.30 cents compared to $0.32 cents in the same period last year. As a reminder, the lease accounting standard change will result in a net incremental expense of $0.04 cents per share for fiscal 2019, or a penny a quarter. Shifting to the balance sheet and liquidity. We continue to utilize our strong operating cash flow from operations, $249 million year-to-date, to support our unit growth and sales initiatives. So far, we've invested $84 million in capital expenditures, net of land- landlord reimbursements, primarily for new stores. During the second quarter, we opened six new stores with the addition of two new states, Louisiana and New Jersey. As we planned, one lease expired and one was not renewed, and one store was relocated, resulting in 326 stores in 21 states by quarter end. Our recent store vintages continue to open strong in both new and existing markets, which we believe reflects the opportunity to extend our reach. We ended the quarter with $59 million in cash and cash equivalents, $515 million borrowed on our $700 million revolving credit facility, $55 million available under our current share repurchase authorization, and a net debt to EBITDA ratio of 1.4. During the quarter, we repurchased 2.4 million shares for a total investment of 51 million and total year-to-date investment of 163 million. Now let me turn to 2019 guidance. We are adjusting our guidance today, reflecting the year-to-date performance and our expectation for the remainder of the year. For the full year, we now expect net sales to grow 7 to 8%, with essentially flat comps. Gross margins should be down approximately 20 to 30 basis points, and SG&A should grow approximately 10.5% year over year. Earnings per share should be between $1.05 to $1.09, with a tax rate of approximately 24%. We continue to expect our CapEx spend to be between $170 to $175 million net of landlord reimbursements, and are on track to open 28 new stores. In closing, speaking for our Board of Directors, we still believe there is a tremendous opportunity going forward for Sprouts. The passion our customers and team members have for our brand, combined with the white space opportunity to extend our reach, both from a marketing and new store perspective, is not just encouraging, but exciting. That said, there is work to be done, and we are not satisfied with recent results. We believe the hiring of Jack is a major step towards reversing recent trends and creating a path that captures the opportunity in front of us. With that, we would like to open up the call for questions. Operator? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press the star followed by the number one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Once again, to ask a question, please press star and then one now. And our first question comes from Kelly Banya from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, uh, Jack and Chip, and thanks for for taking the questions. Um, I guess just curious here what your assessment, I realize it's early, but what your assessment of the issue is here, um, do you attribute some of this, you know, comp weakness to just a lot of the management change that's happened in the past several months? Um, is the market actually becoming more and more aggressive in produce, and that is uh, not having the same traffic driving capabilities that you used to? Are you losing customers? I, it just, what is your, you know, initial assessment, and what are the options at this point? 
it, thanks, Kelly, for that question. I, I, and it's a good question. The, the fundamentals, as I as I look at the business, and I, I preface everything I'm saying today with it's, its early days, is that this business has got an incredibly strong foundation in terms of what it's working at. The foundation of deep expertise and knowledge in this sector, in the natural organic, se organic sector, is right through the business. And it's really encouraging when you meet people and understand that they're in a different league in terms of their knowledge of this sector. And I think the customer interest in healthy eating is as strong as it's ever been. And I think we're well placed in that in terms of having that foundation. I think it's difficult for me to comment on whether the disruption over the last few months has made a difference to that comp number. The one thing I will, we are clear about is that the <clears throat> promotional mix that we have in our business, this combination of EDLP and high-low and how we're managing that balance has probably got out of sync. And there's an opportunity for us, I think, not only to grow the comps, but stabilize the margins at the same time. And that foundation, I think, is right in the middle of how we're exercising price. I don't see a more aggressive price environment out there than it has been over the last few months. But I do see that the opportunity in front of us is our opportunity to stabilize margins, build on the foundation of the business, and grow comp sales from that. And I'm very encouraged by the new stores as well. It's really, we opened a couple yesterday. It's very encouraging to see the, the passion of the customers and the passion of the people in the stores behind the mission of what the, what the brand's about. So I think there's a real strong foundation. And I think if we, if we get ourselves over the next few months <coughs> managing this better, we'll be in a stronger position going forward. Just, um, there's a comment in the release about just the brand expanding its footprint. Um, can you give any indication as your commitment to this kind of um, pace of opening stores, or is there any likelihood that you may want to slow this as you kind of get things back in sync here? Hey, Kelly, it's Chip. We're looking hard at that piece, and it is clear to us, you know, you think about retailers and their, and their lifespan, especially those that have been really successful. You look, can look at a lot of the different brands. And there's a period of their life where they're really growing their square footage, they're expanding their reach, and they're going after the customer. And then there's a period in their life where that starts to slow down, and they're really focused on productivity, and they're really trying to drive and expand their operating margin and drive earnings through that. You can look, the predecessor would be like Five Below is today. It's growing like crazy and doing a really good job. The productivity, you know, Home Depot is on the other end of that. Home Depot has done a great job on the other end. Our early, early look is that we've tried to do both. And to do both really well is very, very difficult. And so we're sitting here as a company with what we believe is a differentiated model with differentiated product, a differentiated experience in the stores, with a lot of white space in front of us. So yes, we are going to reevaluate how we go to market and how we extend our reach. And we're going to look at how big the box is, how much the box costs, and how fast we can grow those. I don't foresee us slowing down growth. If anything, it's going to go the other direction. And just to reinforce that, Chip, I think there probably is an opportunity for us to approach this store growth slightly differently in terms of how we've operated and looking at the format. I think there's opportunity to do them slightly smaller and probably an opportunity to do them in a slightly more concentrated geographic approach going forward. Thank you. Our next question comes from Rupesh Parikh from Oppenheimer. Your line is open. Good morning, and thanks for taking my question. So following up on Kelly's question just on, on store growth, um, as, it, as you look at your current store base and some of your newer openings in uh, newer markets like New Jersey, Louisiana, uh, Philadelphia, et cetera, uh, what are you seeing right now for those stores? Are, are they collectively meeting your expectations? Just want to get a sense of how, how your store base is performing. Yeah, Rapesh, um, the stores are meeting our expectations. In many ways, we're exceeding our expectations. First year on average, we're on average every one, not every single one, but on average, all of our stores are beating the performance on average of what we expect. We've had some real winners of late. Some of the stores in the Mid-Atlantic are winning in a very positive way very early on. That said, you know we're now opening stores that were thought about 18, 24 months ago. So the lead time is, you know, how do we go after that and go after that? Um, 
in, a, in an aggressive way and do it in a productive way is something that we're going to look at. And, and the, the customer reaction has been very strong in most, I don't think, in most of all our new stores sure. we've delivered on that. I think the issue that we have created, we've created some stresses and strains in our supply chain in terms of how that's working going forward. And that's something that a growing business often gets itself into. So I think there's some real opportunity for us to mature how we're serving those stores so that we're doing doing it more efficiently than we are at the moment while retaining the customer excitement around the format. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, great. Then I guess also with growth, you know, so if, if you, I think prior or maybe at least earlier this year, the thought was that you'd get back to double-digit EPS growth next year. Obviously, been, there's been a lot of changes out there that, that have taken place. Is there any initial insight in terms of how you're, how you're thinking about the earnings algorithm going forward? Uh, we have work to do there, Rapesh. I know that, you know, this is a company that had, quote, an algorithm there a couple years ago that was really trying to march towards that. And on it, quite honestly, we haven't been achieving that over the last two years. So it's sort of the don't want to jump into the definition of insanity and put it out there and not achieve it. So we're going to really work hard over the next couple months really strategizing how we think about this business over the next three to five years how fast we want to grow, what type of investments that takes, and therefore what we can drop at the bottom line. But I am very confident that this is a company that can grow and can grow and keep its gross margins stable. And there, how much investment we have to do, we'll have to figure that out as it relates to our overall operating margin and therefore what our earnings uh, growth will be. But um, more to come. Uh, I think we'll be in a really good position before the end of the year to really speak to that. Great. Thank you. Best of luck. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Scott Mushkin from Wolf Research. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for taking my questions. Um, so I guess this is more just kind of on a, just understanding the operations right now. I think you said Jim's going to be an advisor to the company. And, you know, Jack's trying to kind of get to know the company. So I guess my question is, like, who's making the decisions on a day-to-day business uh, given the changes uh, in the organization? Yeah, Scott, this is Chet. That's a great question. But I'll start with Jim. You know, Jim, Jim has given his heart and soul to this company over the years. I mean that literally, has really given it, been all in. And we, and you know, I'm speaking for the board, have been incredibly grateful for everything that he's given to this company and helped grow it to where it is today. But uh, Jim's at a time in his life where Jim really needs to focus on Jim, and so he's really working hard to do that. But I've had conversations with him, I met with him, and he's um, he's excited to help Jack transition in his new role. Um, we're very fortunate to have Jim still be engaged at some level for the next several months. So that's that's really good for for us. But the decisions now are, are made collectively. We're, we are really trying to coordinate it between Jack, myself, and our executive leadership team. You know, we are we are meeting together weekly as an executive leadership team. We're putting it all on the table, and we are, you know, make collectively making decisions. You know, I'm a chain of command guy. Jack's got 51% of the vote at the end of the day, so that's the way it, that's the way it's going to work. Uh, but right now we are, you know, storming, norming. So we're getting through that. But I think we're, uh, you know, it's been very productive. I'm very encouraged by our weekly executive leadership team team meetings and the conversations we're having there and the decisions that are getting made uh, during the week after those meetings happen. So my so challenge that, in this, sorry, Scott, carry on. No, go ahead. Yeah, my challenge in the middle of that question, which is a good one, is how to harness the sheer energy and morale of the company, which is very strong, and how to harness that appropriately. As Chip said, we're putting in a much more disciplined meeting structure than we had before, which is going to allow us, and maybe that is a consequence of over the changes over the last few months, but I think that discipline structure and the clarity of that structure is much clearer today than it was a few weeks ago, and that's something that I think will allow us to have the kind of the levers and the control on a short-term basis that allows us to manage the business effectively. Yeah, I appreciate that. And my, my follow-up question um, goes to, you know, really how and why the competitive climate will get better. Um, and, you know, with that, how do you really change the comp sales trajectory? Maybe it's a little early, Jack, for you to kind of 
think about that, but uh, you know, it does pop into our heads as you know the competitive climate just seems you know stuck in a very very difficult position, and and uh, so I just wonder how and why it will change, and you know you know how how you can change the comp sales trajectory. Thanks. Sure. Well, as you can imagine, Scott, it pops into my head a lot as well in terms of how we think about our competitive dynamic. And the one thing I'm pretty clear about is that we've got a very unique proposition and the, the destiny of the business is in our own hands. And our, our business model, our format, our, the way we go to market and the categories at which we've got great expertise on, those are areas that we can be have a strong moat on, we can have a strong moat in other, whatever, almost whatever anyone does, we've got a strength there in terms of areas, particularly produce, which I think retains the, the reputation that it's always had within Sprouts, particularly in the vitamin area, particularly in the bulk area. Those are areas that other people aren't coming after us at to any great extent when I look at the competitive dynamic. So the control of that is in our own hands. And what I like about, what I really liked about the opportunity of coming here is this brand, it, it needs to tell some more stories about what it does, but the control that we have will allow us, I think, to chart our own course in this space. And the other guys would have to change to be us, and they're not likely to do that when I look at what other people are doing. Um, so we're watching closely. It's early days. But I'm feeling pretty confident that we've got both the people and the positioning that will allow us to chart our own course going forward. Hey, thanks for taking my questions. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chuck Sarankowski from North Coast Research. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone. Uh, similar to what uh, Scott was getting at, when you're looking at the uh, uh, food retailing environment right now. Uh, can you uh, tell us why you think it's so difficult to pass through higher food costs while uh, uh, consumers are seeing expanded discretionary income? Yeah, I think, again, it's a good question. I think within our world, what we've done, and I can't really comment too much on why everyone else can't do it, but within our world, we've had a situation where we've got ourselves a little bit mixed up between are we an EDLP pricing, are we worrying about EDLP pricing, or are we worried about high-low pricing? There's no reason why, within the context of a very clear promotional strategy, we can't get ourselves into a place where, as food prices go up or down, that we can't retain the, the, the perspective of having a retail price inflation in line with those changes. There's no reason why we need to be not able to pass through margins as cost prices change. And there's a volatility, and probably more volatility in the fresh food space that we have to manage probably a little bit more carefully going forward. Are, are you saying when you look at uh, the in-store spending activity of, say, your best customers, to the degree you measure that, uh, do you think you're holding their share of wallet for food purchases? Uh, Chuck, this is Chip. I think that's a question that, quite honestly, because of our time in the building, it's just that. one that yeah. one that uh, Jack and I, you know, digging into the customer and the segmentation and the movement of the customers is something, uh, honestly, that we just haven't gotten to in the last couple of weeks. All right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Our next question comes from Andrew Wolf from Loop Capital Markets. Your line is open. Uh, thank you. Uh, Jack, I just want to ask you kind of your view on scale, which you mentioned having worked at very large places, and in relation to Sprouts. So let's just say, granted, we, we were to agree that Sprouts is well positioned in the market. What is your view on Sprouts' relative scale to compete in, you know, a, a real changing, you know, landscape? And in particular, I'm, I'm pointing to, you know, the resources to really fully develop uh, digital and e-commerce. 
Yeah, it's a great. Well, let's talk about all the other areas in terms of what, and I'll come back to digital and e-commerce. I think the opportunity for growth in our business through scale comes about, I think I said in my remarks, about how we can drive more efficiency. That efficiency, will, I, I certainly think there's significant efficiency in supply chain going forward that we can build on, and there's some very good work being done by the team in that that I think will come to fruition over the next 12 to 18 months in that space. I think there's very significant opportunity in terms of marketing and branding, in terms of utilising the scale that we're getting to, and telling much more stories about what exactly this brand and the purpose of this brand starts, stands for. So I think both of those areas, I think the resources can are in place and can be put in place to create some real strength in terms of how the brand can go to market. I think private label, there's an opportunity, it's been doing well in the business. I think there's significant further opportunity to grow in private label as we evolve scale going forward. And in terms of how we think about our pricing and promotional approach and working with our vendors and working with the, the, the price. I think there's opportunities through scale and working that efficiently. So supply chain, branding, private label, how we work in terms of promotion and pricing activity. I think scale brings some benefits to that that I think we can bring some focus to. With regard to digital and e-commerce, I think the reality of it is we've done some really good stuff in that. I think we've talked in the market, I talked in our release about the absolute numbers in that. And I think we will have to meet the customer where the customer needs to be met. And I think the tests we're doing on click and collect, I think, is, has been, and I need to get into it in a little bit more detail, but I'm encouraged by the work that's been done so far in that within the scale of the resources that we have. And from early experience of some people who have been very good at this, in my experience, is working hard to get that right in a few stores allows you to scale it going forward, and I think that's the right approach. And our home delivery system and the work that we've been doing on that is certainly growing at the moment. And it's something that as we work on this over the next few months, I think we'll think hard about how to meet the customer the way the customer wants to be met in that space, if that answers your question, sir. Well, thank you. Uh, and just to follow up on, you know, I think everybody's sort of asking, you know, it's interesting, you know, that your company uh, or Sprouts is still doing very well with new stores, and yet, you know, the comps aren't well. It's pretty unusual. Uh, but Jack, it sounds like to some extent you think it's self-inflicted with the, you know, the lack of a clear pricing strategy. Um, and I assume, you know, that there's also some cannibalization in there. But uh, and you know, to Scott's question, there's also just the realities of the competitive environment. So, how would you sort of uh, like, you know, I'll just frame it in a more general way. What what is your thought of why there's such a divergence between the new stores opening so strongly and you know the comp base, you know? Um, you know, being, you know, pretty flat. So I, I think, I, I kind of think I've captured that over some of the questions we've just been talking about. I do believe it's, it's, a, it's in our own hands to manage that. Yes, we've got to be very careful and watch the competitive dynamic. And where we're operating now across I don't know how many, so many states we're operating in. There's a different dynamic in every one, from South Texas to Jersey to what we're doing in California and Arizona. And the grocery market does change pretty dramatically from one market to the next. I think there's some opportunity for us to think about how we exercise, how we really look at competitive pricing within that context. But ultimately, how we choose to manage the cost price inflation or deflation is in our own hands. And we have a brand strength that I think protects us in terms of how we can manage that going forward. So if I, if, just to reiterate what you say, I do believe that it's self-inflicted and within our own hands to manage this. And, and this is Chip. I also think that you know, we do have really good new store productivity. I think that's a sign that says this brand hunts. It hunts in new markets. It's, it's really encouraging to see the new customers that we're attracting in, in those new markets that we're going to and being able to attract them early. That's, that's very encouraging. I'd also say on the other side is, you know, we work really hard for the grand opening, and then we don't always come back later with a really good marketing plan and a really good branding plan and really helping the customers throughout the marketplace understand who we are and what we stand for. And so we need to do a better job there. And with that comes that when you're building the kind of square footage even that we're building today, there should be a natural comp coming for the, from the maturation of the stores that we believe should, should be higher, yeah. and, it, and it's not to our satisfaction today. 
thank you. Those those were clarifying answers. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ken Goldman from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi. Um, thank you, and please pass along best wishes uh, to Jim and for his health. Um, two questions from me. Um, Jack, you're signing your name to guidance, but you acknowledge today you don't have all the answers. Is it reasonable to maybe assume you're giving yourself some downside cushion, uh, as many new CEOs, CEOs you know, understandably do, or really are you just very comfortable with the back half guidance, which I think is a lot lighter than people expected, sort of being that true reflection of, of your outlook? So Ken, I know you addressed that question to Jack, but I'm going to take I'm going to take the answer. That's fine. So, I'll take anybody. Else <laughs> for starters, um, for starters, you know we got a month in the bag, and the month uh, so we're one month into the quarter, and our comps are slightly positive. But I think there's some things to consider. First and foremost, Jack and I have been in the building in terms of weeks, not months. And we're rigorously seeking to understand what's happening in the business, what's happening, what's working, what's not working, what's within our control, what's not within our control. And there are early signs that Jack and the team are going to find opportunities that are going to really help us drive some traffic, drive some comps, do that with stable margins, and deliver on the bottom line. But we delivered a .1 comp in Q1 and a .7 comp in the first half of the year. And quite honestly, we believe it would be irresponsible for us to expect or communicate, or communicate that there's going to be any sort of significant changes in trends in the very near term. So that's why the guidance is what it is. Okay, thank you for and that. I don't think Jack, um, unless you really need something else to Jack to add, I think that, I think that hopefully no, that answers I, I your question. I think that makes sense, so that's good. We're no, that, I, yeah. think, I think the, um, the tone of that answer was, was very clear. Thank you for that. Um, and then I, I want to ask this question. I'm not very good at, at, uh, making my, at sort of softening my questions, so forgive the bluntness here, but I, I'm a little that. skeptical. Okay, yes, well, it's true. Uh, I'm, I, I'm it's skeptical okay. that you can grow your gross margin over time, really not because of anything you're doing wrong, just because the industry is tough. Uh, you talked today about stabilizing and maybe growing it. Um, what is Sprouts' core competence, right? What, what does it do in your view, uh, again, it's for either of you, that, that, is, that is better than its competitors? Because to me, without that being a clear answer, and I'm not, you may not have it yet, so I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I'm not sure how you can grow your gross margin over time. So, again, it's a little blunter than I wanted it to be, but thank you for, for any answer you have. That's all right, Ken. Uh, blunt's okay. Uh, as it relates to growing... We're not, we're not saying today that we're going to grow gross margins. That's not what we're saying is stabilize them. We do believe, now, is there an opportunity to grow them? Maybe. But right now, we do believe that there is opportunity to stabilize our margins and still go to market and compete because we do have a differentiated product. We do have a differentiated experience, and we're not a conventional grocery store. And so competing, and we're allowing, we are allowing the conventionals to drive our business as opposed to leveraging the strengths that we have in our business and going forward and marching forward. And in that, in that business case, there is an ability to stabilize your margins. So I'll turn that over yeah. to Jack. So I think the differentiation, which is at the heart of your question, is you know, I've worked in grocery along, uh, over many countries, many places over the last few years. I've not been in a company where the morale and the sense of purpose within the organization is clearer. So then how do you then translate that into the, a differentiation for a customer coming into the store? What does Sprouts have that other people don't have? The low format, the low profile nature of the format is very unique in sense of grocery. And it creates a sense of trust in what you're selling that I think is very unique. When you don't cram your store full and make it as high as you can make it, and you're not frightened to show all aspects of the store, I think there's a real strength in that. I think departmentally, I think the way Sprouts presents produce and the way it comes to the market, the organic nature of it, and the way it puts in front of the customer is unique. So the presentation and the product and the pricing is pretty unique in, in produce. Then you look at the bulk category. 
Now, a few grocers do a few things in bulk, but we're pretty unique in terms of being it being at the core of the format. And I think increasingly with people's concern about packaging and the concern that people have around the broader aspects of the grocery world, I think we're well placed there. And the pricing advantage of that, that allows to bring people to access product for their course cooking needs at 20, 30% below what they would pay in packaged goods is again unique. And the strength of uh, our vitamin and supplement department is very unique as a part of a grocery offer. So the comp those three things are very unique and different. And I think what the team have done in terms of around the deli and the meat counters is pretty impressive as well. So there's some real uh, format advantages, pricing advantages and product advantages that I think we can capitalize on. And it's great credit to the people that have built this business, Jim and many other people who have built this business, that they've created that differential and that moat going forward. And that's something that I can build on. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Karen Short from Barclays. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. And uh, welcome, Jack. Look forward to working with you. Thank you. Um, a couple of questions. So, so just um, just on the, I guess the quarter and on guidance, in terms of the comp possibly turning negative in the second half, and I know you said it's positive in July, but guidance implies negative for the second half. Is that a function of the fact potentially that you do think you need to do some pricing adjustments across the store, and, and that'll that'll take a hit on comp eventually, you know, to rebuild traffic? Maybe just a little clarification there. Well, Karen, you know, thinking pragmatically, implying a negative comp on the back half of the year when the first half was 0.7 would imply a negative 0.7. So we're talking about basis points here. We're not talking about fundamental changes in the business. And like I said, the, back, the backdrop here is we're still working through how to manage the business, and it's going to take some time. And so for us to even imply that it's going to be significantly different, so the difference between a 0.7 in the back half, front half and a minus 0.7 in the, in the second half, we're talking about, and, and this is my opinion, may not be others, is we're, we're talking about a very, very tight range that at the end of the day, does it buy us some flexibility? Uh, maybe, but not a lot. So we're really looking at, how do we improve on the business? Are we satisfied if it's a negative comp? Absolutely not. Are we going to drive towards something differently? Absolutely so. But we're also going to do that in a, in a methodical way, in a thoughtful way, till we build for the future. That's, you know, that's the best answer I can give you, Karen. Yeah, and Karen, it's very early days for, for both of us to actually shape that, exactly what the strategy is going to be around this. So I think it uh, to Chip's point, it's given us the opportunity to really set in stone what we need to do going forward, and I think it's the right place to be for us at the moment. Okay, and then uh, just bigger picture. So, uh, you know, I appreciate um, kind of the comments looking at companies kind of in their life stages, I guess, you know, with five at one end of the spectrum and I guess Home Depot at the other. And obviously you said you'd like to gravitate more to the five below side of things. But I guess... Maybe help me understand because you, you're kind of in a tough spot where you're, you know, you're small enough that you can be nimble, but you're big enough that you really need to keep investing in systems and things like that. So you have investment cycles that are just going to have to continue surfacing over time. So, so I guess I'm not totally convinced that five is the right analogy because it, it doesn't seem that it's going to be as easy for you to grow, e, you know, EBIT or EBITDA. I mean, they, they're growing EBITDA at 20%. Um, maybe well, a little color there on how you can find that balance. Yeah. Well, Karen, I would tell you that when I use the analogy of five below, I, I could give you 10 or 20 others that went through this cycle in the go-go days of the 80s and the 90s and 2000s, and I know it's, it's a different time and a different place, but I'm using that. You could look at the Ultas of the world. I mean, there, there are a few retailers out there that have white space around them, and I think What's exciting about this business is, is this is one of them. We truly believe it's one of them. 
I think Jack came here believing that it's that it's yeah. one of them. Is it 20% a year like uh, Five Below's doing? That's a pretty difficult scenario because it's a very they have a very simple box. It's not a lot of cost to get into that box. Uh, it's not a lot of risk because it's not complicated. It's not a lot of cost. But is there a better can we is there a better place for us where we could grow the curve could look a little different? Absolutely. But some of the things we need to work on is, you know, our box cost has gone up 50% over the last three to four years to build a box. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that that we need to really dig into and understand. If we could build the box less expensively, we could take more risk and we could go faster. But we need to do that work first because if we were going to build the same cost box today that we have and just go out and start to try to blow out 15% a year, you are absolutely correct that you would not be able to absorb that in your cost basis and you would not be able to create any sort of legitimate earnings growth whatsoever. So we're trying to find that right balance and all, all we're asking for is a little patience over the next quarter, the next two quarters really by the end of this year to where we can explain where we think we can really take it and what that algorithm that was brought up before will look like for us. That's helpful. Thanks very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Preichel from Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for taking the questions. I just wanted to ask about um, operating margins. Um, you know, it looks like on a trailing 12-month basis you're sitting around 4.1%. You know, how are you thinking about that over the long term? I understand it's early, um, but maybe just a little bit of color versus maybe some of your peers in the industry. I mean, you still do have premium margins versus traditional grocers. I understand that Sprouts is different, um, but what are your thoughts there over the next couple of years? Well, I think that's not that dissimilar than sort of the previous question is, you know, when you're when you're growing when you're growing at a it depends on the pace of growth, right? So if you're growing at a really fast pace and you're having to put the infrastructure in place, and I'm, not, I'm talking about the, the store infrastructure, the brick-and-mortar pieces of that, then your operating margins going all the way down to operating margins sometimes may go the other direction for a while, hopefully in a gross margin environment that's flat. And then the real operating margin opportunity is on the back end when you're slowing down that growth and you're going to the productivity model. As it relates to our competitors out there and where they are, most of the competitors that, you know, you're looking at with those really small margins, they're just, it's a different model. It's a different business model. It's a go-to-market, it's a different strategy. It's a different mix of goods in the stores. And we, we have, in many ways, we've sort of allowed ourselves to think that that's, how we should compete and who we're competing with as opposed to leveraging what is so different about our business model and going and building it. And that's kind of the shift, you know, take back into control what's great about this business and go grow that as opposed to becoming something we're not. Yeah, so just to kind of reinforce that, I do think the unique nature of our business should allow us to continue to produce a, a superior margin performance to the traditional grocery space. There's absolutely no reason for that going forward. Stabilizing gross margins and building on the efficiencies that we can get from scale. But it's early days, and we've got to work this one through going forward. And to Chip's point, the pace at which you launch new stores will always create some ups and downs in this going forward. Got it. That's helpful. And I just want to go back to a previous question that was answered. Um, you know, if you had to highlight sort of one to one to two or one to three key levers that you believe will reaccelerate comp growth, what do you think they'll be, and is price one of them? You know, if you go back to you know the Whole Foods story, you know, comps slowed, they tried to change price unsuccessfully, and we all know what happened there. So, why will Sprouts be different? Well, as I, as I said at the outset, I think from a pricing point of view, we can stabilize margins by getting more effective at balancing this mix between EDLP and high-low, where I think we've doubled down on both as opposed to really being 
having some precision by category and by market as to how to effectively manage that. The second part of this is I think from a branding and a marketing point of view, we're fairly um, traditional in how we approach this. We spend a lot of our money on print. The world's moving on. And I think bringing, bringing the stories to life of what this brand is about in a more effective way, I think will attract you. Because there's a massive white space out there, even within our catchment area, of people who are not shopping with us. And I think that's the opportunity we've got in terms of changing the messaging around our business so that we can get ourselves into a place where the true differentiation is communicated more effectively, both within the stores that we're opening and within the existing store base. So that combination of managing our promotion and pricing more effectively and bringing a strong branding to the business, I think, will, uh, will I hope, over time, see a significant improvement in our underlying business. Great. And then I can just sneak one last one in. You know, I think last quarter you said digital sales were about 2% of total sales. You know, if they're up 170% in the quarter, does that mean that in-store comps are running down 3%? I mean, is that is that the math that we should be thinking about? And sort of what's what's the update in terms of uh, cannibalization from digital sales? So, um, you know, we're doing we're doing almost not quite, but it's been a big ramp. We're at a point where we're doing almost three million a week there. Um, when you're running a point one comp, and honestly, I haven't gone back to do the backwards math of what that means, but when you're doing a point one comp, clearly, and you're growing your digital, it's going to, your, your, your core comp is going to be slightly negative. I mean, that's just math. So that is true as it relates to it being as, as negative as you're saying. I, I'd have to go back and do the math. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that material at all. Um, and then as it relates to, what was the, what was the final part there, Chris? I think that was it, right? Okay. All right, next caller. Next question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Edward Kelly from Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Yeah, hi, guys. Good morning, and, uh, and welcome, Jack. I, I, I just wanted to, um, I wanted to ask a... Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask about um, you know how much how much time you've had actually to sort of you know think about the business and, and where you need to go. So you know I hear you loud and clear today on the call around um, you know confidence in the competitive position, the differentiation, the idea that you know growth will not slow. Um, but the financial results do raise questions about that. Whether it's the comp, the margin, um, you know seemingly new store returns. I guess have you seen enough, uh, Jack? Um, to um, you know, give you confidence that 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 you know that, that that that's all right. That you should still be you know growing growing stores the the way that you have in the past. Um, I understand the narrative, you know, the, the reason I want to keep that narrative. But I'm just kind of curious as to you know your confidence and how much you've you've, you've seen so far. Yeah, I think it's a good question, and I think fundamentally, as I preface the whole conversation that I'm having with you today is it's early days in terms of as I think this one through. But I've spent a lot of time in stores and I've spent a lot of time with the team here over the few weeks that I've been here. And I, I, I have got, it, it builds confidence because when you look at the numbers, you maybe wouldn't feel as confident as I do. But when I meet this, the foundation of the business is so strong, so unique and so different that it gives me a lot of confidence that we can, that we can harness that. And I think the other thing that gives me a lot of confidence in it is when you talk to customers inside the store, they, they have a real passion and a love for the brand, the people, the customers that are there. And the more, I, the more I experience that, the more confident I get going forward that we've got real differentiation and a real chance of being really the, 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 the leading grocer across the country if we can get this right. And I do believe that from a marketing and a branding point of view, we've been, we've been very traditional in our media use and our articulation of our brand. And I think there's huge opportunity in that. And, and I do believe the categories that we have that are so different, we could be telling the story so much more effectively about the whys and wherefores of the benefits that customers can get in terms of this trend for healthy eating. 
and this trend for looking after their family. Most customers in grocery are just trying to look after their families a little bit better. And I think the reality of us really positioning this healthy for less business model is something that gives me a lot of confidence. Now, putting all that into numbers, it's going to take some time to get to that point. But certainly to the question, I have a lot of confidence that the underlying performance of the business should be and could be much better. And um, just related to that, Jack, could you help us understand, um, and I know, you know, quantitatively is not fair to ask you this question, but just qualitatively, you know, the, the amount of investment um, at the company to where it needs to be. Um, and I think there was an expectation, you know, in prior management that the 2019 would, would be the bottom from a margin standpoint really seemed fair to, you know, for, for us to expect that given that, you know, strategy can change a bit. So, but, you know, any, any thoughts or, or, or help around, um, around that and, and just the cadence of how we should think about the margin, I mean, in, in terms of 2020 and, and whether we could see it be lower before, you know, it stabilizes or goes higher? Uh, I, 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 you cut out a little bit in the middle of that call, in the middle of that question, Ed. Maybe just, if you don't mind just clarifying it, I, I got bits of it and you cut out in the middle of a couple of bits there. So if you just maybe ask it again, I'd appreciate it around the, mar- the margin question. Yeah, yeah the, the question was really just around, you know, around margin and, and how, um, you know, prior management, I think, had an assumption around, you know, some stabilization after 2019. And it just doesn't really seem fair for us to, you know, to, to hold you to that, given that it does seem like there is investment that needs to be made. And I know you don't want to quantify investment, but qualitatively, can you just talk about, um, you know, whether that needs to accelerate from here before margins can, can stabilize? Well, again, I think you're right. So from a qualitative point of view, I believe we could be more effective at passing on the inflationary costs, food costs, so that we don't have to see diluting growth margins going forward. The timing of that's a good question. I don't know exactly, and we're not really in a position to clarify that right now. But going forward, this should be a, a stable, from a stable margin to growing margin over the next three to five years. There's no reason why that can't happen. And I, I would say that you know, you're talking about investments. When you go down to the operating line, a lot of that's going to depend on how we determine sort of new store growth, the trajectory of that, and then as it relates to any other infrastructure. We have some we have some infrastructure needs in supply chain, that some IT and infrastructure needs there. But we have made a tremendous amount of investments in the past. And I don't see the pace of investments in, in the outside of new stores. I don't see the pace of investments really accelerating at all. Uh, if nothing else, they'll, they'll sort of be muted, and hopefully the top line will leverage against that ongoing same amount of growth. Or same amount Great. Of thanks, guys. That's helpful. Yep. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Cardin from UBS. Your line is open. Good morning. Thanks a lot for taking my questions. So another question for you guys on scale. As you grow from being really an effective regional player to more of a national retailer, how do you avoid running into supply issues in produce? And more specifically, is it getting any tougher to find enough attractively priced produce opportunities from growers that you can then really promote heavily across your store base? And Jack, I know Walmart's mix is a bit different, but are there any lessons you can draw upon from your experience there? Thanks. Great. So in terms of produce sourcing, which I think is something that I have spent a lot of time looking at over the last little while, one of the things is that we've got five produce distribution centers, and in that district, those distribution centers, we have our own sourcing team. They can take advantage of the, the opportunities that exist in growing seasons across the country effectively, and the expertise of that team is pretty good. So I've been pretty impressed by this, the opportunity that these guys have got in terms of as we open new stores in different places that we can source effectively through the knowledge and the working with the growers and maybe expanding the repertoire that we're operating locally because we build on that expertise. And I think we're well placed to grow in different markets because of that. 
you identify one of the challenges, which is I, I talked about earlier, which is a supply chain challenge that links with that. Are we distributing things too far in terms of not can we source it, but can we get it to the customer in the optimal condition? And that's something that we're going to do a lot of work on to get that right. But the reality of, of growing in the United States is people are buying produce all over the United States. So there's no reason why we can't source produce effectively all over the United States. And um, I think the team are pretty well placed to do that effectively. With regard to Walmart, we did very similar things at Walmart when I was there in terms of trying to get much closer to the growing base and working that one through. And I think you're all pretty aware of the strength of Walmart's supply chain and distribution. I think there's some lessons we can learn from that. Thank you. Our next question comes from Christopher Mandeville from Jefferies. Your line is open. Please check that your line is not on mute. And we'll move on to our next caller. Our next caller comes from Chuck Grom from Gordon Haskett. Your line is open. Hey, uh, good morning, and congrats, Jack, on, on the new position. Well deserved. Um, just um, to you. focus here on the comp um, and just trying to unpack, you know, really the, the, the difference between the older stores being weaker versus the, the waterfall changing. And, and I'm just trying to understand both dynamics, considering, you know, to your point, Chip, that if, if we're doing about $3 million in revenue from digital, that suggests your, your store is probably comping down, you know, say one to two points. So just can you, can you help us, you know, look, look over the past couple of quarters versus, say, the past four to five years, which dynamics changed? Is the waterfall changed, or has the, or the older stores just not performing as well? Thanks. Um, I don't have in front of me or near the last uh, the last couple years, but I but my uh, so this I'm going to go off I'm going to go out on a limb here from what I have seen is that it's kind of in both right so it's been when you're at a when you've gotten finally down to a point one comp it, that that shows all the pieces so one of course either either one thing's not working either your core stores or comping negative, or your new stores aren't performing. The encouraging part here is uh, the core stores. The core stores are negative, but not. And I'm talking about the old vintages of stores. Yeah, of course they're negative, slightly negative. We are still seeing a ramp on the new stores, but we're not seeing the ramp that we want in the new stores. And some of that is what I would argue is the way that we've managed it. So it's a mix on both sides of the equation, and that. You know, shows all your shows all your warts when you got a point one comp. So we have work to do on both. You've heard a lot of you've heard a lot of comments that Jack's made today about really the core stores. At the end of the day, how can you drive more traffic? How can you then turn that into comp, and then how you can do that in a profitable way? And there's a lot of work to be done on the new storefront, I believe, as well. Where we put the stores, the concentration of new stores, the cost of new stores, the size of new stores, how much money we invest in new stores in the very beginning for all intents and purposes, sort of juicing up the front end. There's work and analysis that needs to be done there that I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in the future to to change that trajectory in a positive way. But of course, with new real estate, that's going to take that's going to take 18 to 24 months to see that change in a meaningful way. And Chuck, just from a from a, the, regarding the question around digital and the physical sales in the stores, I think increasingly, and the way philosophically I look at that is, if the customer chooses to buy it digitally or buy or receive it delivered, that they're still accessing the Sprouts brand, and I would put the two together in how we think about things. Uh, increasingly, uh, that's the way that we have to meet the customer way the way the customer wants to buy, wants to access the brand. And if we've got the right offer, we'll have to find a way of making sure it gets to them appropriately. So it's the overall comp that matters. Yeah, and someone asked earlier, that was the part I forgot, yeah. was the cannibalization because yeah. of the digital. Now it's coming to mind again. Yeah. So, of course, there's going to be cannibalization in the digital world. What's the really encouraging part is that a large portion of those customers that are shopping with us digitally are doing so 
their new customers. That's the piece to look at, not what's being cannibalized. We are touching new customers, new customers that really don't know our brand, have never been in our stores, and they're having it delivered. And if you talk to our partner there on the digital side, they would tell you that it's pretty amazing to look at how new customers are attracted to our brand without ever having been in our stores. So that's the positive side of the digital equation. Okay, and just to my follow-up, um, you know, Jackie said some, something I haven't heard uh, Sprout say in a long time, is that the mix of uh, the high-low versus, uh, you know, EDLP has gotten out of sync. So maybe if you could just, you know, flush that out for us. Has that been a relatively recent phenomenon? And I guess how long do you think um, it'll take to, to fix that? Hey, I don't know whether it's been a relatively recent phenomenon or not. I need to dig into the background to actually understand that. I'm really looking at today in terms of how that plays out. But um, going forward, I think we've got you've got to be very careful with how you manage those things and how you don't dis dis disrupt the business too much in making those changes. But certainly we have to understand that price is the combination of both, that you can't look at them independently, that the combination of what you're investing in promotion and what you're investing in your base pricing combine to create a value for the customer. And that's increasingly what we'll be working on. Hopefully it won't take too long to get to the bottom of that. Thank you. And that does conclude today's question and answer session for the conference. I would now like to turn the call back over to Jack Sinclair for any closing remarks. Yeah, so thanks very much for your interest in the company and thanks very much for, for your time today and your attention to it's, it's great to be part of this business and thanks very much for being here today. I really look forward to all our future updates. So, thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This does conclude the program. You may all disconnect. Everyone, have a wonderful day. <laughs>